Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Better known as Kevin McPherson or Hoop Scoop, courtesy of Hogville.net. Well, good afternoon, Kevin. Good afternoon, Randy. Thanks for having me on at the start of the, the top of the hour. I guess the first of three hours for you every day, right? It is normally, but today is a abbreviated program. Right. We will right. sign off at 5.30, hand it off to Phil Elson and Bubba Carpenter, who's on hand uh, for Learfield there in Omaha for tonight's matchup with the Auburn Tigers. So, uh, as I mentioned, Kevin, we had to move some things around today to make all the pieces fit. So I'll start off with what appears to be, and I realize with baseball probably dominating most of our attention span at this particular moment in two nights, now actually less than two nights. <laughs> Gee, Manny, it's the NBA draft. And uh, maybe for some it snuck up on us but maybe not. But uh, one thing that I did uh, right before uh, we signed on today, I looked at multiple mock drafts, and it seemed like about 10 days ago, somewhere in that range, 10 days ago, uh, Jalen Williams of Arkansas was climbing the charts. When I looked today, he was headed the other direction, at least on, on these mock drafts. So, Kevin, what are you hearing concerning the draft prospects of Jalen Williams? Yeah. Well, so I did a, I actually put a story out today, and I looked at all the updates. Jalen Williams is still, you know, he moved up about 12 spots on ESPN's mock draft last week to 34. That was updated again earlier today by ESPN as it gets closer to the draft day, like you said, in two days. And he's still at number 34 on that. So he's he's moved up with ESPN slash Draft Express. Jonathan Wasserman, uh, the lead draft analyst for Bleacher Report, has Jalen going number 38. So that's also an early second-round pick, as does Yahoo Sports. Uh, Rookie Wire USA Today has Jalen going to number 45. That's that were, you know, if you look at the mid-second round, that's that's smack dab in the middle there. That's where most of his mock draft projections have been since he announced that he was even going to test the waters back in early April. So he has actually moved up based on the ones I've already described. And by the way, uh, Sam Vicini, one of the one of the you know more respected draft analysts with the Athletic, still has Jalen at number forty-seven, another mid-second round grade. So, you know, I talked to an NBA team last week, actually a week ago Monday. Uh, for about 30, 40 minutes, they were grilling me about Jalen's progress as a player uh, throughout his basketball career. And that that team's rep told me they were looking at Jalen with, with late first-round considerations. I've uh, had another source tell me for weeks that Jalen's not only got a draft guarantee but could go late in the first round. I've got an NBA scout, not a GM, but a scout with a prominent team in the Western Conference that says he. He's told me from day one, Jalen's an early second round value in his mind. So it's kind of all over the, you know, if you look at some of the, and by the way, NBA draft.net has moved Jalen up to number 26 in its most recent mock draft. So that's a late first round pick. 
But when you look at the range, it's really late first round through mid-second round. And the, and that's a large range, and I think it's probably a good indication that, one, Jalen Williams should be drafted. I don't think there are many mock drafts out there that don't have him getting selected. And most of them now, the, the worst case you see is mid-second round. I think the other thing is because of that wide gap and that wide range, it tells us that the team, things change. There are trades. Sometimes the draft order changes because players fall further than teams thought they would, and it changes their priorities on draft night. All kinds of stuff shakes out. Some teams decide they want to move on uh, or use their pick, maybe not to actually sign a guy they, cont- they intend to use with, a, with a, even a rookie contract, but, but might want to put on a two-way contract, so, so in which you know is splitting time with G League. It's a much lesser deal. Uh, between the G League and the NBA. So having said all that, I think Jalen's going to get drafted. Arkansas is going to have four consecutive years of having a draft pick going back to Daniel Gafford in 2019, Isaiah Joe in 2020, Moses Moody last year. I think Jalen Williams is the next Razorback to get drafted. But I think when we talk about all those projections, late first round to mid-second round, that's a lot, that's about 20 picks worth of range there, Randy. And none of that, nowhere that he might land in that will surprise me. Um <laughs> You know, I would. You know, looking at it now, I do think all the projections have improved for him, but it's still in that large range. None of none of those spots now surprise me. And I have heard enough late first round that that's not a shock anymore if he goes if he finds his way into that late first round. I think the what is the term need basis uh, that seems to certainly predicate. Uh, where a player can fall in the draft is the need of a particular team. One of the um, comments that I saw based upon an early projection was, as an example, Golden State. And they felt like, particularly with the uncertainty of James Wiseman, that um, Jalen Williams could fit in nicely because they feel like in some regards they have a little bit of a need there. So is is that kind of the direction you're thinking as the first round goes on, as you mentioned, trades, and then the basic needs? And, and then that's where you come in, I think, Kevin, to the part of what you're saying is what is this draft value? Where, do, where does that fit in yeah. with Jalen Williams? Yeah, need always plays a part, and especially the higher up, it, it, you know, if teams are are going to move, make moves maybe to get in the late first round to get him, there's probably a greater need. Sometimes, Randy, the need is not just about to come in right away and play a significant role, but they see a high-floor IQ guy that they feel right. like they can develop and is going to pick up on things, and, he, and he's there as a backstop for depth. Uh, they also really like having those longer contracts that, that have low dollar amounts with these rookie deals. Uh, so even though you can get guaranteed money even in the second round, there's no guarantee that you will. But most of those first, early second-round picks all the way up into the 40s are going to get some kind of guaranteed money, okay? Uh, so the notion that only first-round draft picks get guarantees is not true. At the same time, some of it's about money. Some of it's about how, what kind of value can we get from this guy, not only based on our team need, but our money needs, because they get them at a great value coming out of the draft. What would that mean for Eric Musselman and the basketball team? Uh, 
being able to use the, we'll go back to that term, value. Uh, first, you had just a season ago, Bobby Portis winning a ring, a championship ring with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, we just watched Moses Moody help hoist that, that championship trophy. How much value does that add to the recruiting for Eric Musselman to be able to say, look, here's two of our uh, ex-players, even though Bobby didn't play for uh, Eric Musselman. But right. how do, what, what value does that give to Eric Musselman? It's definitely added value because the whole purpose of the college game, and we see how the nature of it feels more and more like a program. You've got NIL money. You're, the transfer portal is effectively free agency. We know these players want to get to the next level, and the highest at the next level is the NBA. So the more you can show success and results, having players come to your program get to that next level, not only get to that next level but thrive. I mean, Bobby Portis is going to catapult his success and, and parlay that into a, a better contract. I believe he's going to stay with Milwaukee and get a much better deal. You look at Moses Moody, they're already talking about him as a cornerstone of the future of that organization. And here's a guy that played rotation minutes in the Western Conference Finals, had some big moments during the regular season. So I think, you know, Isaiah Joe is another guy they can point to. He's going to be with Philadelphia for a third season, barring some kind of trade, but he'll be in the NBA again next year. Daniel Gafford has effectively been mostly a starter since ending up in Washington. You're talking about a recency of players coming to the program that as a coaching staff with all the NBA experience that Eric Musselman has and a guy like Keith Smart and all the on-court results, Elite Eights, final national top ten rankings, being the, arguably the top program in the SEC the last two years, you could say, okay, here's what we're doing to showcase you as a player for the next level, and here's what our guys are doing that have made it mm-hmm. to the next level. Absolutely, there's, there's a lot of, of trade value uh, or, or marketing value there with what the Pro Hogs are doing. Now, even though some of them, like you said, Bobby Portis and Daniel Gefford didn't play for Musselman, and what did Musselman do? He brought all those guys back for a high-profile game against Tennessee on national television to showcase the program, but also embrace the ones who didn't even play for him. So I think Arkansas can sell it in so many ways, and Eric Musselman's the master at marketing. So uh, he'll, he'll squeeze every ounce of that uh, that he can. And then, uh, speaking of the role for Moses Moody, you may have read the same article that I did. This was off the Athletic, and you are absolutely correct. They are they are looking, uh, particularly. I, I think knowing Clay Thompson, his days may not be over. He may not be the same Clay Thompson he was before. But the way the article was written is, you can expect to see a lot of the second-year players uh, for the Warriors focused around Moses Moody playing premier minutes uh, because they know what the veterans can do, and they also want to not only keep them sharp, that is the veterans sharp, but to bring the young ones along so that they're even stronger. I mean, it's hard to believe that Wiggins is only 27 years of age based upon, you know, what he's been able to accomplish uh, and the and the top player that he is, but they are definitely counting on Moses Moody to be one of the cornerstones of the future for the Golden yeah. State Warriors. Yeah, a big part of that is his versatility. He can play the two or the three. He's strong, has great length, and, and he's got those broad shoulders. You know, we talk about that seven plus wings man on that six six frame, but he's got broad, so strong player. 
you know, he has a, a, a self-confidence. The moment's not too big for him. He's poised. And he has a high floor IQ. And, he, you know, he's going to be one of the top 3 and D players in the NBA. That's what they covet. Most of these teams now, three three-point shooter, defensive player. But I think he does a little bit more than just those things. And I think he's a plug-and-play guy. Next year, he I believe he will be in that top eight to nine rotation. You look at Iguodala, who's probably going to retire. Uh, a guy like Wiggins wants to stick around. We'll see what happens there. You mentioned Clay Thompson. Uh, but there will be opportunities, especially in a long regular season, for guys like Clay Thompson to be able to rest, not play a ton of minutes. Let's remember, he, he missed over 50 games this past season. But I think Moses Moody's going to get plenty of opportunities in that rotation to help Golden State maintain. And that's a scary thought. Here's a guy that stepped into what was a dynasty, had been faltering for two years, got all the pieces back, and Moses Moody had a role in that. He wasn't just riding coattails. He was actually had significant run at times, especially you go back to that Western Conference Finals. His 65 minutes in that in those, those Western Conference Finals were the second most ever for a teenager in a Conference Finals in the NBA history behind an icon, Kobe Bryant. What are you hearing and what I'm reading and hearing is that was Michael Qualls as one of the more ex- explosive leapers and jumpers to come along in quite some time for the Arkansas program. It sounds like Ricky Council is going to move that to another level himself. And what are you hearing about the workouts that Arkansas is going through right now in particular, what are you hearing on Ricky Council? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm going to say something on behalf of Michael Qualls. Mr. Walk on Air was a regular feature on SportsCenter Top Ten Highlights, and he <laughs> raised his game every year at Arkansas to the point where when he was a junior, he was an all-league player and, and really a big reason Arkansas won as many games as it did. I think they got 27 wins, finished second in the SEC the year. Kentucky went undefeated. Uh, it was really so. Well, Ricky Council's got a lot of work to do to be Michael Qualls, but as far as explosiveness and a guy in that six six range with the explosive hops and gets and finishes above the rim, yes, he, you might be able to say he's the guy that could potentially be a uh, you know that might be a good comparison. I, you know, Eric Mosman, I went to his press conference at Bud Walton Arena on Friday, and he bragged about Ricky Council's work ethic, how hard he plays, and how aggressive he is, just in even in drills where there's not a you know a defense out there. And he says he's never had a player work as hard. So I expect Ricky. You know, Arkansas came and got him late in May, made room for him. Uh, Jackson Robinson moved on, and Arkansas, you know, uh, you know that was part of getting Ricky Council in. And I think that the transfer from Wichita, when you look at the two years he played there, was a rookie of the year, or excuse me, all-freshman team, and then the sixth man of the year. And he just does a, a, a lot of good things, and a, a lot of it has to do with his he's, – he's, physically strong you can tell by looking at him that he's built he's athletic and and there's some versatility in his game so i think he's a guy that art that Musman projects right now is being in the top rotation seven eight guys uh, i keep wondering can we call it a nine player rotation because are the twins going to be interchangeable uh, but i think ricky council when i looked at the names i've really been hearing though randy at the top of the list have been guys like nick smith jr trevin brazil jordan walsh devo davis Makai Mitchell, uh, so so those have been probably the five names I've heard the most because Anthony Black just joined the team last week, but he already opened eyes on his first day of practice on Thursday. So he's a guy I think in that, you know, you add him to those five, that's six, 
Ricky Council seven. And then I think, you know, when you look at that, uh, Mikel Mitchell, Jalen Graham, I think those are, you know, a couple of the names you're going to look at, you know, at the top of that eight, nine rotation. If he'll go that deep, uh, he, he typically at seven tight, maybe an eighth guy, but, uh, there, there, you know, there's definitely a lot of talent, length, and athleticism there. This team, Musman, said it on Friday, but I've been hearing this, you know, since the start a couple of weeks ago that defensively this team was so good because of length and athleticism and ability to defend at the rim, and he talked a lot about that. Uh, but Arkansas, what has the identity been of this program under Eric Musselman? If anything's been the identity, it's when this team turns a corner in mid-January and becomes really good defensively. Everything else kind of fills in the blanks after that, but it starts with defense. Last year that team finished the season. It wasn't very good defensively, and, and it wasn't very good offensively, but it finished the season ranked 11th, according to Kim Palm Analytics, and adjusted defensive efficiency. And so if this team out of the gates is already looking good on that end of the floor, now there's a long way to go before the season gets here. But I think just to hear some of the talking points from Eric Melsman and other things I've heard from inside those doors, if this team's going to be has a chance to be another elite type defense, that's what that's what Arkansas has banked to get into back to back lead eights, two national final top ten rankings, and having the best overall record in the SEC the last two years. So if that's the building block, then they're off to a great start. I I just think that, uh, well, this this eight or nine man, and I know that nine has not really been part of the equation, but i got to believe, Kevin, with this much talent, and, yeah, some are going to step forward, maybe some don't, but I think it's going to be hard to hold this down to an eight-man rotation uh, based upon what we believe, what we perceive is the talent how much better is this competition going to make a guy such as uh, a devo davis i think this is the kind of competition he needs on an everyday basis for him to truly elevate his game to i think a level which we've seen flashes up but i'm talking about on a consistent level because with this kind of competition kevin you got to do it every day you got to bring it every day yeah, I think it helps. And I think the other thing, too, is sometimes it's about chemistry. You know, two years ago, Devo Davis thrived once he got it, found his role playing mostly off the ball. And you had a, a guy like Jalen Tate who was so reliable, really kind of running the team. And you saw Devo kind of flourish playing off the ball. Last year, Arkansas was doing it by committee. You know, J.D. Note was a score-first guy, wasn't the most consistent ball handler, suffered a lot of turnovers. Devo was trying to play on the ball more. He had his struggles with that. Um, and, you know, Chris Likes was really a two-guard and a five-seven body. So you just didn't really have And I think each year there's a new dynamic. I think mm-hmm. Davo Davis has a chance to thrive now, and I think there's some playmakers. I think he can be one of them, but I do. I think the competition level, like you said, also forces you to raise your level of play. So I think there could be several dynamics that lead to Devo. I'll call it a bounce back here. He was still one of the top five-minute getters last year. If you look at his stats, there were some that he actually improved on. And he was big in some big games for Arkansas. But I'm not going to pretend like a guy that was preseason second-team All-SEC didn't kind of have a sophomore slump because he, he he wasn't as consistent as he was that back stretch last year or his freshman season in that first Elite Eight run. But I do think Devo Davis, like you said, has a chance to flourish. We're talking about all these newcomers, all these highly rated guys, but maybe a guy that's been there is, is due for a breakout big season. But, Kevin, don't you – and I'm maybe this is my opinion – and I'm trying to make other people agree with my opinion, 
But he's better. Devo is better off the ball than on the ball. And I'm talking not as a primary ball handler. I'm just talking running the floor. And I know Council has been super impressive running the floors. It doesn't matter what drill it is. He's he's running the floor uh, full speed. But I just think Devo is so much better without the basketball. And I think he can go back to that role based upon Anthony Black and others who will be the primary ball handlers. Great points, Randy. Great points. Kevin, thank you for... Thank, well, you're getting you're you're getting the hang of this after what five or so years. All right, Kevin, thank right. you. We'll talk with you later on this week.